Welcome back, everyone, and thank you for joining us for today's podcast from Dublin First Baptist Church in Dublin, North Carolina. We hope you'll be encouraged today as you listen to our message. For more information, please visit our website at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist as we listen to the preaching of God's Word. Good morning, and again, and good to see everybody here today. We'll go ahead and um, turn to the book of Ruth this morning. If you take your Bibles and turn to the book of Ruth this morning. Pastor Jason had asked me to preach a couple of weeks ago, and then I started realizing that Time was getting closer, and then everybody was going to be gone on the ski trip and everything. And so, but it was good. The Lord uh, has given a, a led uh, to a good passage, a good message this morning. I think that'll be good for our uh, season, the time that we're in here. Uh, but in the book of Ruth in the Old Testament, we're going to be looking today at Jesus, Jesus the kinsman redeemer. In the book of Ruth, I think we're mostly familiar with uh, the story, uh, kind of just the couple first chapters there, the first chapter really of it. Uh, there's, we, we find there's a famine in Bethlehem, and we find that um, a man named Elimelech, married to Naomi, has two sons, Malon and Chilion, and they have decided that they need to go to Moab, the country of Moab, to kind of uh, escape the famine, get a little bit of relief. Uh, while they're there, Elimelech passes away, uh, Malon and Chilion marry uh, two daughters of Moab, two uh, Moabite women. Uh, the one is named Orpah, the other is named Ruth, who the, the book is, of course, named for. And then they both die as well, uh, the, uh, the other two sons, Malon and Chilion. And that leaves uh, Ruth with her two daughters-in-law. Uh, and she comes to them and tells them, hey, why don't you guys go ahead and go back to Moab? There's nothing left for you. My husband's dead. Your husbands are dead. Uh, go ahead and go back to your family and to your kin and your people. Uh, and uh, the one does, Orpah. Uh, does decide that she's going to go ahead and go back to the Moabites, Uh, but Ruth does not. Ruth instead uh, leaves with Naomi and goes back to Bethlehem. They're from that uh, city, and that's very significant. We're going to look at that in just a minute towards the end as well uh, of the story. Uh, Some of most of us maybe know the end of the story, but we're going to look at it uh, again today as well. Uh, But that's one of the reasons why I wanted us to kind of sing that song. It's been a while since we've sung that last song, Uh, I will follow. But that was really the declaration uh, of Ruth in Ruth uh, chapter 1 and verse number 16. If you you have your Bibles open to Ruth, you can see there. Ruth 1 verse 16 says, And Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee, or to return from following after thee. For whether thou goest, I will go, and where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. And that's a very important statement for her to make uh, at that point in her life. She has uh, no other place. Uh, She could go very easily back to her own people. That would have been the safest place. That would have been the easiest place. She could have got married again uh, to someone in the country of Moab. It would have been very easy for all those things to happen. But she instead chose to stay with Ruth. The book of Ruth has a lot of important things for us. So we're going to kind of just mention a few and then we're going to get into our study today. Um, One of the big things from the book of Ruth is that it does give good characteristics to us of what a marriage should be or what a marriage uh, can be, good marriage characteristics. Both Boaz and Ruth have a deep love for one another. We see that kind of developing through the book, the four uh, short chapters there uh, of Ruth. 
Um, but it's also a good picture, as we've already mentioned, of love for fellow man as Ruth, of course, decides to remain with her mother-in-law and go to a foreign country, to a place she's never been before, and to, as we see, uh, not only in verse 16 that we just read, but through the rest of the story, she chooses to completely change the religion that she's following and become a follower of God. She chooses to go uh, in that direction and turn from false idols that they were worshiping in Moab. So there's an important thing there. Uh, there's an important contrast between Ruth and the book of uh, 1 Samuel, the Judges, and then 1 Samuel, the time of the Judges, is that book, if you ever read any parts of it or heard preaching on it, it can be kind of a depressing book because there's a cycle that Israel goes through where they're following God and then they stop following God and they choose to worship idols and then some other nation comes and oppresses them and then some judge will come uh, and, and release them from that and will fight for them and then they have peace again as long as they're following God. And there's this continual cycle with the phrase, every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Uh, and, and it's kind of a depressing book, but we see Ruth happening at the same time as the judges. Okay, It was before the kings, uh, before Samuel, so it bridges the gap, but it also shows us that there were righteous and godly people living at the time of judges. As we're going to see, both Boaz and Ruth and Naomi even herself, acknowledging God, acknowledging who he is, and living a righteous life uh, the way that they were uh, supposed to be doing in that land. So it does give us a good contrast as that as well. The truth that is contained in Ruth is this as well, that salvation has always been meant for Jews and Gentiles. Ruth was a Moabite. She was not a Jewish uh, young woman. Uh, she was, in fact, a Gentile. And that would, I think, would cover and encompass the majority of us in here today. And, and that salvation went to her, that she was able to be saved as well. Uh, and that change of religion there that we saw in verse number 16. It's similar to what we do as we follow Christ. I thought about this first, Philippians 3, 13 to 14. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And certainly a direct application from that verse would be to be forgetting those things. We've had sins in our life and put those things behind us. But even when we follow Christ and we have Christ and his cross and our focus and centerpiece, we're putting all else aside. We're putting our own lives, we're putting our own desires, our own hopes and dreams aside and following what God wants for us and following him wholeheartedly and finding our joy uh, in the glory of the cross and, and enjoying God and who he is. It's a very important picture there as well. But today, we're going to look at Ruth uh, and Boaz, and we're going to look at Jesus, and we're going to see specifically today how, uh, the Lord willing, how Boaz, the kinsman redeemer, points towards Christ, who is our kinsman redeemer. And so I want to read one quick verse, and we'll pray again. It's Ruth 2, and verse number 1, kind of an anchor text for us today, says this, And Naomi had a kinsman of her husband's, a mighty man of wealth, of the family of Elimelech, and his name was Boaz. Let's pray. Lord, again, we just come before you today humbly and sincerely, God, asking that you would again help today as we uh, look through this, God, this message that you've laid here. And I pray, God, that your words would go forth today and it would be your words and not my words today, God. And that this morning as we hear, Lord, that our hearts would be forever changed, our minds would be focused on you, God, and we would leave here more like your son, Jesus Christ, today. In your name we pray. Amen. So there's four things this morning that a kinsman redeemer had to have. Jesus Christ fulfills all four of those things very important and very specifically for us. The four things, though, is that uh, a kinsman redeemer had to be a blood relative. We're going to look at the background for that in just a moment. 
um, the kinsman redeemer had to be able to pay. In other words, he had to have significant wealth himself, all right, and, and be able to take on uh, the debt or the, the cost. Uh, but he also had to be willing to pay. That's important as well. And um, we're going to look at that this morning, the Lord willing. And finally, also had to be free himself. He could not have debt himself, could not owe anything to anybody, but instead would also have to be free to do the part of the kinsman redeemer. So again, in Ruth chapter 2 and verse 1, just that first part, it says Naomi had a kinsman of her husband's. Uh, and then later on in the verse, it was from the family of Elimelech, and that's the generation that he was from, Elimelech's generation. Go back to Deuteronomy chapter 25, please. Because we need to do a little bit of groundwork here. Not too many pages back uh, from where you're at, but in Deuteronomy chapter 25, we need to look at the basis and the, and the place for where this particular law comes from. Uh, this was an Old Testament law that was given uh, in, in order, we're going to see in just a minute the reason why, but it was given in order to uh, remain in Israel, keep the name of a deceased person within Israel, keep the possession and the inheritance of that person within Israel so that their name and their possession would not be lost. And it says in verse 5 of Deuteronomy 25, If brethren dwell together and one of them die and have no child, the wife of the dead shall not marry without unto a stranger. Her husband's brother shall go in unto her and take him to be wife to perform the duty of a husband's brother unto her. And here's verse 6, the reason why it shall be that the firstborn which she beareth shall succeed in the name of his brother which is dead, that his name be not put out of Israel. So the inheritance that was due to his father would go to the son in that way and be raised up in his name so that his name and possession would not be lost out of Israel. Now I'm going to read a little bit more. It's going to get a little bit uh, weird in here, but uh, we need to see the 7 through 10 so that we can get a background information of what's going to happen later on in the book of Ruth. And so in verse 7, if the man like not to take his brother's wife, then let his brother's wife go up to the gate to the elders. So we see here the woman taking initiative up to the gate and the elders. That's the second thing to keep in mind. And say, my husband's brother refuseth to raise up unto his brother a name in Israel. He will not perform the duty of my husband's brother. Then the elders of the city shall call him and speak unto him. And if he stand to it and say, I like not to take her, then shall his brother's wife come in unto him in the presence of the elders and loose his shoe off his foot. There's the third thing I want you to pay attention to. So she's initiated it, gone to the elders in the gate, the shoe's coming off. And spit in his face and shall answer and say, So shall it be done to the man that will not build up his brother's house. And his name shall be called in Israel the house of him that hath his shoe loose. Three things just to remember from the book of Deuteronomy about that. But the duty there was to raise up children in the place of the brother so that his portion and inheritance would not be lost. His name would not be lost from the nation of Israel. And as we read there, uh, the woman was to initiate that. Uh, she was to go to the elder. She was to go to the brother. And if he wouldn't do it, go to the elders. Uh, and, and there was a need there that would take place. If there was a need for, if the brother refused, then the need fell to a kinsman redeemer, a close relative, someone who was a blood relative. It went to the brother first, but if he refused to do it, there was a need for another blood relative to be the kinsman redeemer. That's an important thing uh, in this uh, context here and in what we're going to look at in just a minute, the need for someone to be in flesh. And taking off a shoe, that's important to remember as well because it was a sign of abandoning responsibility. If he didn't want to do it, he took his shoe off and gave it away. And that, or, or that she actually, in this case, took the man's shoe off. Uh, but that way there was a sign before everyone, before the elders, that, hey, this guy's not going to do his job and he's abandoning his responsibility to do so. And we have to keep those things in mind for later. Now, in Ruth's case, 
Okay, both of the brothers have died, so there's not a, a, a brother who's not doing his duty, so to speak, as the law in Deuteronomy says. There is no brother. There's no one left. And so she is definitely in need of a kinsman redeemer. She's in need of someone who is a blood relative that can continue on the line of Elimelech and Malon and Chilion and so forth uh, in, the, in her time period. And that's why it's so important that Boaz is there. Now, I say all that to say this. The second point under this thing is this. Christ had to come in flesh. This is the first way that Jesus Christ fulfills the law of the kinsman redeemer. He had to come in flesh. Isaiah 59, 20, I'll read this verse to you. It says this, The Redeemer shall come to Zion, and unto them that turn from, aggression, from transgression in Jacob, saith the Lord. Now that word redeemer there means the kinsman redeemer. It's the Hebrew word, it's goel, it's the same one that Ruth is going to use in a moment when we read again in, in, our, in our main text today. It's the same one that's used in this context of Deuteronomy 25 as well. Goel, it's a word that means a kinsman redeemer, a blood relative. It's very important. And Isaiah 50, 29 has a very significant thing for the people of Israel because it is a fulfillment for them of the millennial kingdom of Jesus Christ. When he comes back to reign on earth, there is a time period where all the promises that they were received in the Old Testament will be fulfilled to them. It hasn't happened yet, but it will happen. So that's, an, uh, that's a future promise from Isaiah 59 20 but there's an immediate promise from Isaiah 59 20 and that is that a person would come one day the Messiah would come one day who would be born of flesh born of a woman who would be able to fulfill this part of the kinsman redeemer who would come in flesh and blood that's a very important thing for us to understand I want to go back just a little bit more Genesis 3 15 I will put enmity between thee and the woman between thy seed and her seed it shall bruise thy head thou shalt bruise his heel. This is the very first time in the Bible, in Genesis chapter 3, the very first time in the Bible the gospel message was ever proclaimed. And it was right there. Uh, the day that the fall happened, the day of sin, uh, God says to them, here's what's going to happen, here's what we're going to do. One day there's going to be a person who's going to come and be born of a virgin. That's what it means, the seed of a woman, rather than saying of a man. He will come in flesh, and you're going to bruise his... Bruce, um, his heel, talking to the serpent, and he was crucified on the cross for us, but the promise was that he would bruise his head. In other words, he would defeat sin and death. Go over to the book of Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2, the need. This is such an important thing because so many times today, or so many things today, people will say, well, uh, uh, Jesus Christ did not truly come in the flesh, or there are some cults out there that believe that. There's some people that don't have the right interpretation of Scripture, and they say, well, Jesus Christ just kind of came and was here and was a good teacher or this or that. They say a lot of different things. Jesus Christ had to come in the flesh, and this is the reason why, because he was fulfilling part of this role. In Hebrews chapter 2, in verse number 14 to 15, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, that's us, we have flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same. And we see that twice, likewise and same. He took part of the same. Why? That through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. That's us. Jesus Christ had to come in flesh and blood. Jesus Christ had to do that for us in order to be the kinsman redeemer. And he fulfills that part of the Old Testament law perfectly and completely by doing that. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then John 1, 14, and the Word became flesh, dwelt among us, 
and we beheld his glory, the glory is of the only begotten of the Father. Very important first point for us to see. The kinsman redeemer had to be a blood relative. And we see in Ruth chapter uh, 2, verse number 1, that Boaz fulfilled that completely. And Jesus Christ also, by coming in flesh and blood for us, taking on that, keeping all of his deity, 100% God, 100% man, keeping those two things together, fulfilled that as well and was able to be the kinsman redeemer. Back in our main text, Ruth chapter 2, verse 1. We see the second thing that is important, and that is in the middle of the verse. It says about Boaz that he was a mighty man of wealth. A mighty man of wealth. He had the wealth, he had the fields, he had the things that he needed in order to be the kinsman redeemer. That's very important as well. He was able to pay. But I want to go back just one page if you're there. One, Ruth chapter 1 and verse 19. I want to take a minute and just kind of see this because here's a very important point about Naomi and Ruth's situation when they return from Moab. And so in Ruth chapter 1, verse 19, So they too went till they came to Bethlehem. And it came to pass when they were come to Bethlehem that all the city was moved about them. And they said, Is this Naomi? And she said unto them, Call me not Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. Now here's the thing. We'll stop right there for just a minute. They're coming back into Bethlehem, and the family is there and seeing them. And they say, is this Naomi? Now, Naomi, her name means pleasant. Her name means pleasant. And she says, don't call me pleasant anymore. Don't call me pleasant because I've had a hard time. Call me Mara, which means bitter. Call me Mara because it means bitter. I went out full. This is her testimony in verse 21. I went out full, and the Lord hath brought me home again empty. Why then call ye me Naomi? Seeing the Lord hath testified against me, and the Almighty hath afflicted me. So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, with her, which returned out of the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem in the beginning of the barley harvest. She's coming back completely and totally without anything. She has no uh, hope. She has nothing that she feels like is prospect for her. She herself is too old to get remarried again, perhaps. But she is broken before God. But notice that when all that testimony that's there, she still recognizes God. She says, the Almighty hath dealt with me. She says, seeing the Lord. And when we see that word Lord, if you have it uh, the way that I do in my Bible, all the letters are capitalized, talking about the covenant name of God, Yahweh, Jehovah. She is recognizing that God has worked in her life, and she has come completely to the end of herself. Now, this is a side note here. And I'm going to throw this in because I think it's important. A person has to come to a place in their life where they also realize they have no hope, they have no thing other that they think they can run to. They have nothing they can run to. We try so hard. It's not, it's not turning over a new leaf. It's not trying harder next time. It's not hoping for the best in the sense of, you know, well, maybe, you know, like hoping for like a Christmas present or hoping for a birthday present. I hope I get that. It's not that kind of hope. It is faith in Jesus Christ. It is coming completely to the end of oneself and realizing the need for a Savior. Naomi came to a place in her life where she realized there was nothing that she could do. There was no hope that she had apart from someone being the part of a kinsman redeemer to, to Ruth, really. And that's an important place because that's where individuals have to be in their lives as well, coming completely to the end of themselves. We try so many different things to fill that up, but it's the only thing is that Jesus Christ and recognizing Him as Savior and that's why I think it's so interesting here. At the end of chapter 1, Naomi and Ruth have no hope. 
They think they have no hope anyway. And then as soon as you turn the page, at least in my Bible, here is this hope, this ray of hope coming forth that says, hey, here's this man, and he's a kinsman, and he's a close relative, and he could be the hope. He could be the one, and turns out later on that, yes, he will be the one to do the part. He was able. He was a mighty man of wealth. He had great riches. Looking in Ruth chapter 2, across the page there, and if you're, if you're back in chapter 2, verse 1, in verses 8 and 9 of, of Ruth, of Ruth chapter 2. Then said Boaz unto Ruth, Hearest thou not, my daughter? Go not to glean in another field, neither go from hence, but abide here fast by my maidens. You see, Ruth had found favor in the eyes of Boaz. She was a hard worker. She had, she had seen other things, and he knew her situation. So he had found favor. He said, don't go anywhere else. And we see throughout the, the chapter here that he actually uh, uh, tells the people as she's gleaning, the gleaning was to go around the edges of the field and pick up things that were left behind so that people who were poor could also have food. They would harvest in the middle but leave the edges kind of there for people to come and get that didn't have a job. And so, and so uh, we see here that not only is he allowing her to go behind and glean and pick up the things that fall, but he's actually telling them, if we read into we don't have time this morning, that he's actually telling the people to purposely let some of it fall so that she gets a little bit more. And to stay in his fields only. Don't go to anybody else's field. In verse number 9 of Ruth chapter 2, Let thine eyes be on the field that they do reap, and go thou after them. Go where they go. Have not I charged the young men, they shall not touch thee. And when thou art athirst, go to the vessels and drink of that which the young men have drawn. So not only is he letting her glean, he's saying, stay where I where, where my people are at, go to only my fields. No one's going to touch you, no one's going to harm you. And then when you're thirsty, go get some water too. These are things that you wouldn't normally get uh, if you were going behind and gleaning. And then Naomi in verse uh, 22 of Ruth chapter 2 says this, uh, uh, And Naomi said unto Ruth, when she begins to realize all that's going on, she says this, It's good, my daughter, that thou go out with his maidens, that they meet thee not, in any other field. In other words, don't go anywhere else. Don't let them see you. Even if there's a lot of stuff left over in a different field, don't go there. Only go to Boaz's fields. Only go where he is. He is a mighty man of wealth. He has moral character. He has the testimony. He has the wealth. He has the ability. He is kind and gracious, and he is leaving things behind purposely for Ruth to pick up. And Naomi's hope is restored. And by the end of verse, or by the end of chapter number two, Naomi's hope is restored because Boaz has come forth as a kinsman redeemer. Turn with me to the Ephesians chapter 2, please. Because not only is Boaz in the position to be the kinsman redeemer for Ruth and Naomi, but in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 4, we see that Christ is able and is in the position and is able to be the kinsman redeemer for you and I. Ephesians 2 and verse 4 and 5 this morning say this. But God who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace are ye saved. God, who is rich in mercy. The great love that God had for us. We, we quoted that verse this morning. We sang it in our song, John three sixteen. So loved the world that he gave his only son. God, Jesus Christ, had the ability to be the kinsman redeemer for us in first peter 1 18 and 19 turn there we're in the new testament first peter 1 18 to 19 pastor jason had gone through this book a couple months back 
and enjoyed hearing uh, the different parts of this. We went through these verses before, but here's the important thing, because Jesus Christ had the ability to pay because of this reason right here. 1 Peter 1, 18-19. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with what? The precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. The precious blood of Christ, the most costly thing in all of the earth, not redeemed with corruptible things, things that go away and things that change and things that rot, but instead with something that is eternal and everlasting and powerful this morning is the precious blood of Jesus Christ, powerful enough to cover the sins of the world. And for those that come to him and humble themselves and ask for forgiveness of sins and ask to be saved, he is ready and willing. He is able to do it because of the price that he, that he paid was his blood on the cross. And he was sinless. He was the spotless Lamb of God. We'll get to that in just a minute as well. No one else could do that. No other thing can do that. There's nothing else in the world that can redeem us. There's nothing else in the world that can change and make us reconciled before God. It is the cost of the blood of Christ. Ephesians 1, 7, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Boaz was a mighty man of wealth, and he was able to pay the cost. Jesus Christ and God in his great love and great mercy was able to be the kinsman redeemer for us because he paid the price with his blood. So not only did the kinsman redeemer have to be a blood relative, and not only did the kinsman redeemer have to be able to pay, the kinsman redeemer had to be willing to pay as well. Go back to Ruth chapter 3, please. Ruth chapter 3. He had to be willing to pay as well. And so hope is restored to Naomi and Ruth by the end of chapter 2. And by chapter 3, Naomi is giving instructions now to Ruth. She doesn't know. She wasn't raised Jewish. So she's giving instructions now to her about what to do, what's the next steps. Boaz has shown extra favor to you. This is what you need to do next. And so she goes uh, to him to ask him to be the kinsman redeemer. Now we saw that in Deuteronomy. Remember I told you to keep that in mind. In the book of Deuteronomy, the woman was the one to initiate the kinsman redeemer. And so she does this, and so she prepares herself. Naomi tells her what to do. In verse number uh, uh, 6 of chapter 3, if you'll join me there, Ruth chapter 3, verse 6. And it says, she went down into the floor and did according to all her mother-in-law bade her. In other words, she came in, uh, and she, uh, where he was at that night in the threshing room. In Ruth chapter 3, verse 9. Uh, Boaz wakes up and realizes that Ruth is there, and he says this, and he said, Who art thou? And she answered, I am Ruth, thy handmaid. Spread therefore thy skirt over thy handmaid, for thou art a near kinsman. Ruth has come and initiated this request for him to perform the part of a kinsman redeemer. She has done that part of the Old Testament that she was instructed to do by Naomi and has come in to do that. Now the answer has to come uh, from Boaz. Is he willing? We know he's able. We know he's a relative. Look at verse number 11, Ruth chapter 3, verse 11. And now, my daughter, fear not, I will do to thee all that thou, thou requirest. For all the city of my people doth know that thou art a virtuous woman. And now it is true, I am thy near kinsman, howbeit there is a kinsman nearer than I. Tarry this night, and it shall be in the morning, that if he will perform unto thee the part of a kinsman, well, let him do the kinsman's part. But if he will not do the part of a kinsman to thee, then, I will, then will I do the part of a kinsman to thee, as the Lord liveth, lie down until the morning. So we see Boaz is indeed willing to be the kinsman redeemer. He's a blood relative, 
And he's well able to do as a wealthy man, and he is now also willing to do the same thing. He would willingly support and provide for Ruth and her children. Now remember this, the firstborn was going to inherit that portion of Elimelech's land that would have gone to either Malon or Chilion. He is not being raised up to take Boaz's land or Boaz's inheritance or Boaz. He is being raised up to take what Boaz is taking right now. That his goods and possessions would be given to a son that would not have been his heir otherwise. That's a very important thing for us to remember as well. And Ruth did the part that she was supposed to. She went in and found Boaz extremely willing and ready to do it. Now there is a little hitch if you caught in that. We're going to get to that in just a minute. But Christ was also willing to pay the price for us on the cross. That's an important thing for us. In Matthew 20, 28, we see this. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, to give his life a ransom for many. Why did Jesus Christ come? Not to be ministered to, but to minister, to give himself for uh, those who would follow him, to give himself for those, uh, to give himself as a ransom for the world. Go to John chapter 10, please. John chapter 10. This is a portion of scripture where Jesus is describing himself as the good shepherd. In a parable, making a, uh, giving them an example that they can understand easily there, the good shepherd. In John chapter 10, beginning in verse 15, we see Jesus again saying these important words. As the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father, and I lay down my life. For the sheep, Jesus is willing to lay down his life for the sheep. Verse 17, therefore doth my father love me because I lay down my life that I might take it again. Now here's an important part right here in verse 18. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, I have power to take it again. This commandment I have, have I received of my father. It's important to understand that Jesus willingly gave his life for you and I. There's no other hope that we had. We were in the same position as Naomi. There's no other thing that we had. And Christ fulfilled the law by coming in flesh and blood. And Christ fulfilled uh, the Old Testament as well by being able to pay and now being willing to pay as well. He lays down his life. No one's taking it from him. He has willingly laid down his life for you and me. He didn't come to minister, uh, to be ministered to, but to minister. And Christ fulfills that. He's giving his life willingly as a good shepherd. That's what the shepherd does. The shepherd protects the sheep. The shepherd lays down his life willingly for the sheep. And Christ is willing to do that for you today as well. And finally and quickly this morning, back in Ruth chapter 4. Finishing our story in Ruth, seeing the last important point, And that is that he had to be free himself. Now I'm sure that Boaz had no debt. Seemed to be a very smart businessman, wasn't taking on things he shouldn't have taken on, so to speak. But as we saw uh, in what we read just a minute ago, there was one small hitch, and that was there was actually a redeemer, a kinsman redeemer, closer to Elimelech than uh, Boaz was. So he wasn't necessarily free yet, so we won't take time to read it this morning, but beginning in verse 4 and going through uh, to uh, verse uh, or ver- chapter 4, verse uh, 5 or 6 or so, Boaz does this, he sets into motion his plan. He goes to the elders of the city. He goes to the gate, and he waits for that other man to come. And when he sees him, he pulls him aside and says, let's have a conversation for a minute. And then he gets the elders, and he's in the gate of the city, and he's going before him and saying, hey, this, uh, this land is up here, and you're the closest relative to, to Elimelech. Do you want to redeem this land for yourself? This is, this is the Tommy Knight version of this, okay? So 
And, uh, and uh, the guy says, yeah, yeah, I'll go ahead and take that land. I'll redeem it for myself, sure. But then, see, Boaz, I think he had a plan working because he said, okay, good. Well, by the way, it's not just Naomi, it's also Ruth. The story changed all of a sudden. He's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm not really getting this land for me. I, I'm getting this because I have to be the kinsman redeemer. I have to give this land away in the name of Elimelech. You know, I have, to, I have to raise up children into Elimelech's name and keep his name in line. And he says, well, wait a minute. I don't know if I can do that or not. So pick up with me in verse number 6 of chapter 4. The kinsman, the other man, said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I mar mine own inheritance. Redeem thou that my right to thyself, for I cannot redeem it. This is important. He's not willing. This man is not willing to pay the price and be the kinsman redeemer. Now in verse 7. Now this is the manner in the former time in Israel concerning redeeming and concerning changing for to confirm things. Uh, sorry, a man plucked off his shoe, gave it to his neighbor, and this was a testimony in Israel. Therefore the kinsman said to Boaz, buy it for thee. He drew off his shoe. He is abandoning his right, and this makes Boaz free now to be the kinsman redeemer. He was not 100% free because of that, but now he is. Christ's freedom, this is the most important thing. 2 Corinthians 5.21, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Christ took on the complete debt of sin, and he did this because he was free from sin himself. He had no sin. Jesus Christ is the only person that ever had no sin. He came to earth uh, in flesh, but he came as the seed of a woman, not of a man, that he would have no sin in him. He was the spotless lamb of God. He was the one who was the kinsman redeemer. Hebrews 4.15, For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted, like as we are, yet without sin. Christ knows the temptation that we face, and he was tempted in the same way we were, but did not commit sin. He was free from sin. In Isaiah 53, 4 through 6, we see that the sin of the whole world was laid on Jesus Christ. By his stripes are we healed. All of it, the full wrath of God, and that's more important. That's, that's an important part of the story as well, that not only were the sins of the world laid on Jesus Christ on the cross, but the full wrath of God was laid on Jesus Christ on the cross as well, and that he fulfilled that. He took on that because he had no sin debt himself. He was not paying for his sins. He was paying for your sins and for my sins on the cross. And when he was up there, he was showing his great love for us by fulfilling that last portion there of, of, of being free from sin himself and yet taking it on. Uh, to pay for our sin debt. Galatians 3.13, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. Jesus Christ fulfilled this requirement. He could be the kinsman redeemer today for you if you have not already trusted him as Savior. And I ask you today to think about that today. Have you trusted Christ as Savior today? Have you found Christ to be your kinsman redeemer? And if you have, is your love for him growing every day? Are you growing in your love for him? Have you recognized that? Are you sharing that with others today? Well, as we stand together here uh, for our time of invitation, I just ask that you would be willing and obedient to the Spirit of God as he leads as we sing How Deep the Father's Love for Us. Would you stand with us at this time of invitation?